1: Welcome to Product Coffee, where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. So grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career, 30 minutes at a time. Um, I'm one of your product co-hosts, Zach Lagreca.
2: Kevin Gentry.
0: Pergen Neval.
3: Patrick Kuchkowski. Jake Merlin.
0: Jamie Douglas.
1: Our topic today is how to be successful as a product manager in a rapidly growing organization. Um, so this felt appropriate, just as Ibotta has been growing rapidly. Uh, there's a lot of things we've learned in kind of this this state of a company. We thought it'd be an interesting thing to talk about as product managers. So, uh, any any initial thoughts on on the topic? Can
2: we, can we talk about our series D and what that's kind of public means now at this point? Yeah. I don't think we
3: okay. can say how much it is. But yeah.
2: Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah.
3: can say that it's a billion-dollar valuation.
2: Then now we're a billion-dollar unicorn. So. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to toot our own horn here. Yeah.
4: We had unicorn-colored lollipops yeah. all that over the cool. office. And
2: we made our
5: poor CTO run around.
2: Yeah, and, <laughs> then, and <laughs> a unicorn, unicorn out scarred for life.
0: <laughs>
2: okay he seemed yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's sparking this conversation, is that we recently closed the Series D, and we are now evaluated at a billion dollars. <laughs> so that means that, we're going to hire a lot. And with that comes rapid growth and other areas of pretty much all of our areas are at their senior leaderships asking us, what can we do to accelerate or what can we do to expand? And, you know, I think that's kind of one of the things that is sparking this topic. But Yeah, I think what's exciting is
4: that the company wants to invest in product. They're not looking to go blow out the sales team, I think a lot, or you know, or lean into marketing as much as they probably could. Even although we probably are going to spend more on marketing, I imagine. Um, so it's exciting that the company wants to invest in the product and be a product-led company. But I think to Kevin's point, that makes things a little bit more complicated because all of a sudden we have what 10 PMs, and we're going to have 20 within three mm-hmm. months. Like, what does yeah. that mean?
0: Yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, as the product
1: team essentially doubles, um, and then like specific areas of focus grow too. Like, you know, when I came in to Ibotta about a year ago, like, I was the only product manager kind of focused in the space of payments, Um, and now we have... Five or six people, a product, man- product manager, product managers specifically mm. within that group, and so uh, it, it changes. I think how you operate day to day when you suddenly have that many people and more teams working on the same thing. I think one of the things I've uh, found challenging, not just at Ibotta but at other organizations, is as you as you grow the product team and uh, the amount of people working on something, your areas of focus have to shift, and it can be a little tricky just to kind of manage those handoffs of. Okay, like where are these areas of responsibility? Like, what are we all focusing on? And like, how do we start to divide up the the work in a way that will actually accelerate us? So,
5: I think one of the particular challenges too that we're facing right now is um, the uh, level of our technology, like where that's at, because. One way that we could be working faster is if we were fully transitioned to the microservice architecture, but because we're not, we're in this like hybrid space, it means that we end up having to do things in a way that we don't want to, that isn't super future-looking, um, just to get there faster. And and so that's something that I'm a little um, curious about, perhaps a little cautiously optimistic about for the next year or so. Is, if we are scaling the product organization as much as we are, then how do we maintain, you know, constant delivery without having this, you know, what is what it is designed for a more flexible um, architecture for us.
4: It kind of brings previous tech decisions more into focus at this yeah. point, right? Yeah. Like every decision has a little bit more of a risk trade off because of that. I think that's a great point.
0: Yeah, I think the fact that we're starting to document how our decisions are either contributing to tech debt or taking down some of our tech debt mm-hmm. it does start to expose some of that stuff that has been historically built up and hasn't had the attention and focus just as we've tried to scale quickly so I think at least we've put in some of those policies around as we're making decisions, documenting why these decisions are either contributing to more tech debt or helping pay that down, at least the, the visibility is there which I haven't seen in other organizations
1: Yeah, I, I think one thing I, that Ibotta does better than some previous places I've been in this regard is really trying to look at like the end state and the end goal as a means of making some of these decisions sooner. That's not to say that we don't sometimes make trade-offs for quick wins. Uh, Sometimes we still end up doing that. But I think often um, as you're growing an organization, it's easy to continue pushing off tech debt as a thing where it's like, oh, that's not important. Is this new feature? We have these new teams. They should work on these new features. Uh, But if you're not careful, I think a company can quickly buckle under like the weight of tech debt um, and so managing that's really important, and I think for us, knowing like, the sheer scale of what we're trying to accomplish, of you know, in one year, two years, we want to be ten times, a hundred times um, where we're at now, that helps us to understand, okay, the current you know, structure of our code base mm-hmm. is just not going to support that mm-hmm. scale, and we know that that's where we want to go pretty soon. Um, so it's worth investing some extra time to build out a new microservice as opposed to building something kind of in an existing uh, monolithic structure mm-hmm. that is a little faster in the near term but is going to cause a lot of headaches. And so I, that's one thing that's been helpful is, you know, look at, look at the real end state um, because you'll start to realize some of those tech debt trade-offs won't get you there.
0: How do you guys manage those tech debt discussions with the engineering yeah. teams you work with? I think it's often very easy as product managers to focus on that next shiny thing, but obviously engineers want to continue to focus on paying down the existing tech debt. So how do you, I mean, I've heard some teams will dedicate a certain amount of time each sprint to paying down tech debt. We've, in a previous organization, we did 12-week planning, and that last sprint was dedicated to either paying down tech debt completely or ideation altogether. So love to learn from you guys some effective ways that you've employed on your teams in terms of paying down tech debt.
1: I've always liked the idea of like allocating 15% of your time to tech debt. In my experience sticking to that is pretty difficult actually, <laughs> yes. uh, and it varies a lot. Like the tech debt you need to work on or can work on, it's not as clean as just out 15% every single week or sprint or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but trying to keep that focus of like what tech debt are we working on at any given time, just to not lose sight of it. One of the things we've done recently uh, is we've tried to allocate time for like uh, what we call maintenance fiestas, where it's like okay, you know, we've just been through a big rollout, we haven't, we've kind of gotten behind on tech debt. We're going to just schedule an entire week where the engineering team is focused purely on tech debt, um, and they get to take more of a lead in prioritization of that tech debt. And I think that gives some of that back, helps us kind of catch up a little bit without sacrificing too much time. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing you can do.
2: Like the naming convention there, Maybe
1: it's yes and that allows you to like bring in like tacos and stuff.
2: So <laughs> that's Those the, best the best important part.
1: That.
3: That. Is it on Tuesdays? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was like it was a full week, but Tuesday was a part of this. That was yes. the peak? It peaked on Tuesdays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I kind of have the same conundrum where it's we keep saying we're going to prioritize it, so I like the idea of trying to do a full week. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in your experience, though, has it been more successful? when you're building something that's more consumer-facing or is it something that you've been able to focus more on tech debt if you're more of a technical PM because I've run into situations where especially when you're front-end focused mm-hmm. the team is suddenly oh what's what really is that next feature and yeah. because the senior leadership team or someone else has already bought into the next feature you're already designed complete they're like why haven't you shipped that that we talked about three months ago and so yeah. suddenly that week gets gobbled up really quickly Or to kind of Jamie's point, the tech debt decisions we've been making have been very large. And so it's not, oh, we can handle some refactoring here. It's really, we need to build a whole new microservice, which can't be facilitated inside a week.
5: And I think part of that problem, too, that I was trying to drive at is, like, it makes it so you can't have an autonomous team. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And so,
5: like, if we are scaling you can never be working independently, you know, parallel with other people. It's like you're always dependent on other teams and other PMs.
4: I think that's a really good point that we should probably unpack yeah. a little bit more. I think as we grow, your your the latitude of the PM and your level of ownership probably goes down. It shrinks, right? We're trying to become in in the effort to scale, we're trying to specialize and we're trying to stay within those problem spaces. But I think Zach to your point, like you were the PM of payments a year ago, and then now there are six people in the same problem space, and yeah, we're trying to get deeper into payments and think, what are the different problems that we can go solve, and go solve those really, really well, but that does mean that all of a sudden we now have to be thinking a little bit more about, okay, how does my work impact somebody else's work, and how does that person's work impact my work? Are we touching the same code? Do we have to be more on top of regression testing, for example? I don't know, like, what does that, in what does everyone think about how that level of responsibility and breadth of responsibility changes as we grow and, and yeah. problem areas start to shrink a little. I
2: think it, it has to do with the transition that we're going through as a company, moving off of a monolithic architecture to an event-based microservice architecture. Yeah. And the more, the quickly, more quickly that we can move to the microservice architecture, the more autonomous we can be at the yeah. squad level. Because in that microservice architecture, we can essentially have duplicate. Uh, microservices like Jamie could have a microservice that does something similar to what my microservice does but uh, and, it, and it doesn't really matter as much um, but because we're not completely off of that monolithic architecture there's still those dependencies um, and yet it even you know as you scale maybe we're completely off of the monolithic architecture if we have similarities and that's but well documented that hey Jamie has this service okay, I could take advantage of that service. Or there's a clean API that we can talk to and, and, and utilize. Um, and maybe that'll help scale efforts in the future too. But I think it's that transition right now that we're in that we're not completely doing that. And then also to build a microservice today takes a while. As in, in the future, where we want it to be is pretty quick, like within like the week or two time frame, right? I mean, that's kind of what we want to head
3: towards, but now it's like the
2: quarter kind of time frame if you want to go build one, so that's kind of...
3: Well, how do you, is I almost, my concern is that as we move into the microservice architecture and things become rapidly buildable, we actually end up with duplicative work mm-hmm. that yeah. actually hurts us because, hey, I can stand up this microservice, I can get it done in a month, but if Bergen over here is building the exact same thing mm-hmm. and using you know totally different resources, how do we deconflict some of that yeah. it's but
2: I think there's a level of that that's okay but there is a communication right. there that needs to happen where it, it gets challenging as you grow right and maybe that's And maybe it's a timing decision, like, hey, we can get to it faster, so we decided to go do this. Or we have a specific use case and not the full breadth of the use cases that Bergen's tackling, so that's why we're dedicating it around. It's going to be case by case, I think, but I don't know how you communicate that at a larger scale. I think... think Wow, we (laughs) all have some thoughts on (laughs) this one. That's a good
0: (laughs) problem to have. Um, I think most of that is as product, and we're all focusing on certain features, a lot of that is facilitation with the engineering teams and ensuring Mm -hmm. that communication is... is happening across the engineering squads as much as it is across the product team. And I think that that's something as product that we can help facilitate Mm -hmm. um, and help put the right people in the room to make those decisions around building.
4: I think the machine learning team here is actually doing an interesting Mm -hmm. thing um, in kind of preparation for this rapid scaling where they have the API catalog. They basically are building this API gateway that anyone can hit, but it basically becomes a self-serve mechanism for other teams to Mm -hmm. go look at, okay, what... What different recommenders are there available? What API points can I hit? Can I use some of those things in the products I'm trying to build? And in that way, to get your point, Kevin, like we can still remain autonomous, but still know like, okay, this microservice does this. I can go read this or I can go write to this one. I can do whatever I need to do and consume whatever information I need. And maybe we don't need to talk to each other, but as long as there's some sort of catalog or central documentation, then I think that might be the key to
2: success. Of course, do you actually read said catalog ever?
4: <laughs> no, only when you need it. Well, I think <laughs> maybe
2: if we have a consistent way of building APIs and documentation around right. that, then as a part of your ideation, you're looking through what we have available and what would how would that apply to the, your solution, right?
3: Well, and I think part of the solution is as we specialize, you also start to see the rise of the strategic role at the company, too. And so I think that's the biggest change I'm starting to see over the last couple of years is, you know, when I joined the organization, it literally went from 3 PMs to 10 PMs, And we started to be like, oh, we need directors at this level to help supervise and to direct people. As we go from 10 to 20, you now have even potentially one layer removed where you end up with four directors or mm-hmm. group PMs, And then it's really about not necessarily managing a day-to-day squad anymore. It becomes facilitating a lot of that conversation mm-hmm. and helping right. to make sure that yeah, I may not need to know exactly what Zach's doing every single day, but you know, at least at a group level, you know, those more senior group PMs should be having those conversations to help us deconflict. So that if we don't read the, the catalog or don't take the time to talk properly, they can at least help. Mm-hmm. So here's a question: Given that, how do we not
4: become
2: corporate and bureaucratic? It's a um, process, <laughs> Yeah, like how do we Except not become our like, reality?
1: Uh, ping pong table. <laughs> <laughs> ping pong table <laughs> I hear that's what does it. <laughs> Fight yeah. it out I over ping pong.
2: That's what
1: engineers love. Yeah, that's what I that's what I hear from uh, <laughs> so then,
0: the,
1: yeah. Um I think that's that's a really good question and I think a lot of times there's this idea that process being imposed means you're becoming corporate and bureaucratic. I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, but I think one of the things to watch out for is processes that like, end up hindering teams from making quick progress versus uh, putting processes in place to help keep you moving quickly. One of the problems with growing an organization to be a lot bigger is generally the organization gets slower. And it's really hard to keep an organization moving really fast as it gets bigger. Um, and so I think that's the challenge. Like, How do you enable velocity And some semblance of like cohesion in like product strategy, while not hindering that. And so I think those like you should use what works, but I think
4: we want to make sure not to hinder that. It's almost like a risk versus reward appetite, I think, of the business too. Because as you get bigger and you get all these isolated teams, they all go off and build different things. The chances there that they'll get out of sync. But how much of that do you put up with? With the benefit coming back or the return being velocity? What's that balance? How do we strike it? How do we find that? And how do we determine what the appetite is for the company when it comes to things perhaps breaking or getting out of sync or not going perfectly?
5: I feel like we have a good example of that because you guys build out a service that actually is something technically my team should be um, owning more or less, just the service that gives that kind of credit. So... Um, but you guys did it a year ago in order to really test out your proof of concept and to introduce a brand new product line That's when the trade-off seems like it was worth it to me because mm-hmm. otherwise you guys would have been held up for more than a year Yeah um, So I think those duplications of work makes sense in that kind of case.
1: I think that's true Like I think it, 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 it's kind of a case-by-case basis. I think process is helpful as a general like, guideline of like here's how we should try to operate because of the scale we're at, but we, we should know the, those rules of process so that we also know when to break them. Um, I think it's kind of like certain grammatical rules in writing, where knowing like when you can break them, but you have to understand the rules first. So mm-hmm. understand why it's important to have these areas of ownership and these general processes of like documentation and mm-hmm. and whatnot. But it doesn't always mean it's the right call to make. I think speed to market can be important, especially if a, a company's growing. Generally, there's product innovation that's being attempted at the very least and so as you look to innovate and build new products you want to make sure that you're looking at factors like the market landscape and you know sometimes you do need to make trade-offs.
5: With regards to growth too something that Patrick and I have done and this is kind of an accident but we have this like regular meeting um, where it's just a few people it's a a few PMs and it started out to be talking about more about um, you know the client facing um, section of work but we don't really overlap so much anymore, but we still use that forum as a way to talk about what we're working on and to bounce ideas off each other. And then sometimes it accidentally ends up surfacing um, questions or dependencies or things like that. So, um, yeah, I think those kinds of things are nice, like an ad hoc regular meeting with a couple of PMs that aren't actually within your problem space or under your umbrella can be a nice way of um, addressing some of those overlaps.
4: Hence this one, as we... Air all of our dirty laundry. <laughs> yeah. Just yours, street. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, it smells.
1: <laughs> I think something else we've been doing that has been helpful is when we send out stakeholder updates every one to two weeks to you know our senior leadership and people who are very involved in the products we're releasing. You know, we copy all of the product team here, even if it's like not super related to our exact problem space. Um, and so I think there's kind of two sides to this coin, but over communicating regularly in multiple forums I think is important if you're not like if you feel like you're communicating enough you're probably not (laughs) communicating enough that's what I'm experiencing right now Um, and on the other side like as PMs we have to try and stay abreast of like what other people are working on like it takes time and sometimes it feels like oh this isn't super relevant I'm really busy like do I really need to worry about this but it can be helpful like you know read those uh, emails and and documents from your other you know PMs and other Mm -hmm. folks to just get context of the kind of the layout of the organization, because sometimes there are like unanticipated
3: overlaps or opportunities. Well, and even to that, I would also say that there is an inevitability that as you continue to scale, that you won't have visibility into things. I mean, I know myself, I try and read, you know, up on most of those, but even like Zach, you and I were having a a conversation with our teams the other day. I was like, Hey, I'm building this new thing for your team. And the team had, sat in on product demos and seen this, and we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it's to your point, you have to reiterate and reiterate and reiterate, but there will come a point at which the process breaks down, and you really do need to understand that flexibility and agility is going to go a long way. So be willing to accept that things aren't going to work, and you're going to have to retool it, and you're going to have to retool it over and over and over again. I
4: think to your point, too, like part of the skill, or probably, probably what probably 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 one of the things that makes us successful as we grow is just trusting that other people are doing the right thing Mm -hmm. and that we aren't going to know all the time what people are doing and that we're going to be surprised sometimes and we need to be okay with that be like oh you're building this thing that impacts my problem space Mm -hmm. that's cool tell me more about it how can like and just say yes and right just say yes and be like all right tell me more let's figure it out it is what it is like I'm, maybe I should have been involved in the decision earlier on, but I'm not, so that's just the reality, and let's move on.
0: Yeah, I think a positive that comes with that is if there's an opportunity for your squad to take on work that may not be under your particular domain, um, we do a really great job of measurement here, and I think if you know one feature might be implemented in a certain focus area, you can use that op- as an opportunity to baseline what that effect would have on the rest of the saver population, or our users in this case, so I think that there's, you know, positives that can come from you know, maybe doing something slightly in somebody else's domain, but it gives you the data and the, you know, the information to roll that out to a more broad user
3: mm-hmm.
0: f- of that feature. So, so search comes to mind.
3: The other question I know we were talking colloquially about just before we started recording is as we scale and we bring more product managers in how do we ensure that they're not orphaned and simply on a team that doesn't have any engineers? So, how do you, if you are on one of those teams that you're really in an ideation space, how do you put forward a product if you don't have an engineering team to back you?
1: Yeah, good question. I, so, I think if you're in that place, you're already ideating and building out kind of a backlog of ideas and a kind of a strategy and roadmap that you want to execute. I think the other thing you need to be building as soon as possible is a resource plan. In order to get this done, here's the mm-hmm. resources we need. Here's the engineers. Here's the analytics. Uh, you know, here's the different th- components we're going to need to build this. And have a few variations of that. Like if we can get six engineers and a product analyst, we can get this done in you know, three months. Um, if we have one, like two engineers or something like that, it's going to take us you know, eight months or something like that. But having a resource plan and then continuing to hit on that. And then every time – because I've been in this place in, in a former uh, role – where I didn't have any engineers on my team yet, and I would have roadmap update meetings with one of our like VPs at the company, and he'd be like, so, you know, what what's the progress on our roadmap? And it's like, there's been no progress. We have zero engineers. And it was like this every week, and it was kind of brutal, and so that's something that I found effective, is to just, just start to have like a resource slide, like, here's the roadmap, and here's the resource plan we need to start doing it, and here's a few variations, and that pretty quickly got some attention. Okay, well, let's, let's get you at least an engineer. Let's Let's start working on this. That, that way, you know leadership knows. In order to now execute this cool roadmap you put together, here is the things they need to, to fund. I think you also need to be a squeaky wheel too,
4: right? Yeah, don't, don't be forgotten.
2: I am gonna put a can of worms on this because this seems like a perfect topic for an episode, and we're at time. So um, let's let's move on to talk about.
3: Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Reading, closing thoughts.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think we're at time, so closing thoughts make sense. This was a big, a big topic. Um, the one closing thought I have is we talked a lot about um, how to be successful working together and dealing with technical constraints and all these things as you grow and scale an organization. One other thing to look at to be successful as a product manager is when a team grows this much, there's generally additional opportunities that are unlocked so keep an eye out for things that might be interesting it might be a totally different problem space that you're interested in Uh, uh, so keep an eye on on like those types of opportunities um, that can help you grow
3: your skill set yeah i would definitely second that Um, i think the only other thing i would say is be helpful really go out of your way as new members join the team to be grabbing coffee with them and having those conversations uh, really take the extra effort in order to make that happen. Yeah, I think I'd add on to that and say uh, with a smaller
4: company, you have more face time with fewer people, and you can develop those relationships to a deeper level, and there, the communication changes as you grow because you have less face time with more people. And so over-communicating, putting it out there, telling the same story to multiple people, and just being consistent in your communication, I think is something to definitely keep in mind.
0: Yeah take advantage of the outlets that you have within your organization to share out that knowledge. We do product demos here every week. We send out stakeholder emails. We use Slack communications for launches. Um, And if any of those things don't exist in your organizations today, uh, I challenge the listeners to go out and try to implement some of those best practices that we've learned to be pretty effective here at Ibotta.
1: Cool. I think that's a good homework assignment, so thanks for coming up with that on the spot.
3: I didn't <laughs> yeah. have anything.
1: Um, <laughs> okay, so everybody, uh, rate, five stars only, uh, mm-hmm. subscribe, um, comment, all that good stuff.
0: Buy us coffee.
1: Buy us coffee. Buy us coffee. Oh, I'm oh, coffee. just
0: going to keep throwing it in there until it happens.
4: Yeah. It's Come hang out with us on September 17th, 10 a.m., Denver Startup Week. Be there or be square.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll be doing a live product coffee September 17th, Put it on your calendar. More details to come. Uh, But uh, we're all done with our coffee, so thanks for listening. Now go level up.